Hi there, I'm Pastor Rod Parsley, and I sure want to thank you for listening to today's podcast. I'm the senior pastor of World Harvest Church, where we love God and love people, and I hope you'll be inspired by today's message. Now, for more great content and lots of updates, I'd love to connect with you online at rodparsley.com. But right now, let's head into today's episode. Well, I hope you're ready for another great message, I believe, from our eight-part series, Effective Leadership 300, exploring practical and biblical tactics to connect you to your purpose in Christ and the leadership role God is preparing for you. Now, don't forget to request your digital study guide. You can do that at rodparsley.com slash leadership 300. So you can follow along with me or review the material when you finish listening. Blessed be God forever. Shout, I'm a leader and I'm ready to lead. Say, get behind me, Satan. Behind me, I said. Behind me. I'm a leader and I'm on my way to bigger things, better things, greater things, a greater anointing, a greater hope, a greater joy, a greater blessing. I'm anointed. Well, give God glory for it then. Amen. So what I want to do tonight, you can be seated, is I I noticed that I had a whole lot of things that I had prepared to share with you that in the first six weeks I didn't get an opportunity to. So I'm going to take little bits that I didn't get to in some of those sessions, and I'm going to put them all together for you tonight. Is that good? And we got a long way to go and a short time to get there. Shove your neighbor and say, here we go. Grammar lesson number one, survey says the difference in commonly confused words, was and were. Please get this. Please get it. Incorrect. We was at the mall. Since I got up this morning, I've kept a little record. I have heard individuals misuse was and were seven times before I got on this platform since I got up this morning. And I've just been around church folk all day. You can always minister down here. You can always lead down here. But if you're going to lead beyond, above your raisins, you're going to have to get some things like this in your belly was and were, the proper usage of was and were. We were going to go to the mall, not we was going to go to the mall. Do you understand? Shout, I got it. Does it matter? All right, quote number one. I have had problems, this is from (laughs) this guy. He and I have had some wonderful times together, Zig Ziglar. He said, I have had problems when I have had money. And I have had problems when I haven't had money. I have learned that if you are going to have problems, it's better to have money. (laughs) Look at you. Come on, wave your hand. If you've ever had problems, wave your hand. If you ever had problems and had money while you were having problems, wave your hand. If you've ever had problems and didn't have any money while you were having your problems. Now, everybody that thinks it's better when you're having problems to have some money while you're having them, wave both hands and holler, thank you, Jesus. Amen. <laughs> Scripture number one, John 3 in the Amplified Version. Beloved, shout, that's me. I pray that you may prosper in every way and that your body may keep well, keep well, not be healed, keep well, even as I know your soul keeps well and prospers. The progressive present tense of God. We, it's not that we were or we are going to be, it is that we continually are. Right now, Lord, we're being prospered. Right now, we're being saved. Right now, we are in the process and state of health. 
thank you. We're in the state of blessing. We're in the state of joy. We've been baptized into fire. No, you're not listening to me. We've been baptized into fire. God said, I'm a fire from my loins up. I'm a fire from my loins down. So what was Jesus saying? There's one, John said, there's one coming after me, the latchet of whose shoes I'm not worthy to stoop down and unloose. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. That means you are baptized into fire and into does for you what a phone booth did for Clark Kent. It changes you into another being. Into means to become. You get baptized into God who is fire. Therefore, you get baptized into becoming whatever God is. And since he never leaves the present tense, if he is in you and he is healing, does not possess healing, then you are not going to be healed. You are in the state of health. I'm not allowed to preach. Hallelujah. Judges chapter 6. always like to give you something from Gideon in Judges 6 and 7. That angel that was revealed to Gideon, that angel that was revealed to Gideon, his name was Wonder. W-O-N-D-E-R, Wonder. It's actually not an angel. If you study it out, it is actually the manifestation of Jesus of Nazareth to Gideon, that angel, that angel of the church, Jesus of Nazareth, revealing himself in the old covenant as an angel, and, and he was called wonder. I dare you to throw both hands or at least one up and shout, my God is a wonder. Now what he says here, that angel says, in verses 16 to 24, and I, I just can't take time to read all of it, but in verses 16 to 24 of Judges 6, Gideon asks the angel named Wonder for the permission to give an offering. I want to pastor a church full of people that ask for the opportunity to give an offering. Because Gideon understood that when that angel said to him, you are a mighty man of valor, when he understood that hell will fight you over what heaven has called you. Now I just helped somebody. I said hell will fight you over what heaven has already called you. And when that angel said to Gideon, you are a mighty man of valor, all of a sudden, Gideon said, let me get a seed on it. Gideon said, let me sow an offering. Because here's what Gideon understood, clear back in the old covenant, that a seed breaks up fallow ground, and once a seed is sown, another level of revelation is on the way, and God revealed himself to Gideon as that angel of wonder and called him what heaven called him and erased what hell had been fighting him over. Glory be to God, that's better than butter beans. I'll tell you that right now. When, when he sowed that offering, he re was released into a deeper revelation of who God was. Manasseh, to forget. He revealed himself as all eight of the compound names of God. All right, in week number four, I talked a lot about blindsided lessons from the school of hard knocks. Has anybody ever been there? Anybody ever been blindsided? Anybody ever been to a shakedown? <laughs> I thought I'd get a bigger amen than that. Paul's relationship with the church at Corinth was at best tumultuous. It becomes the setting, however, for the apostle who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. It becomes the setting for his most intimate work, his most intimate letter to the church at Corinth, his epistle, especially in 2 Corinthians. It's a passionate, it's a personal defense against the false teachers that had crept into that church, watch me, after Paul and Barnabas left. You better be careful as a leader what you leave in somebody else's hands. 
Oh my. Oh my. I just said a thing. You better be very, very careful in your delegation because as I've shared with you, delegation is not release. Delegation is not release. Why? You get what you inspect, not what you expect. Just because you tell the ushers to put the offering envelopes in the pews, I speak from my own life experience in my business, just because you said for that to be done, you better go put some eyeballs on it. Because, because the, the fact that you delegated it does not release you from the responsibility of it. Oh, you're not shouting at me now. So then, so, so Paul here is in a situation where he and Barnabas have had to leave the church. And when, when the cat is away, come on, somebody, somebody that's at least driven through Kentucky, tell me what I'm talking about now. When the cat is away, the, the mice will play, won't they? Yeah, because nobody's putting an eye on them. No one is there supervising. There's something that happens in this, this 5,200-seat room with eight walls. There's something that happens in the very atmosphere of this place when I walk through the door. Now, if you don't realize that, you haven't been here very long. And, and folks say, well, you know, that's being a respecter of persons. No, I carry the anointing for the place. Now, there are those that serve with me, but there ain't no home like home when daddy is in the house. And you need to learn that about your business. How many businesses have met wreck and ruin because somebody built it up a little bit? I know a young man had a great painting business. Everything was going really good with him. And I started seeing him all over town. And every time I'd see him, he bought a new uh, Cadillac car with a convertible top. And every time I'd see him, had his golf clubs in the back of it. I said, what are you doing? Oh, I've got some much business. I hired somebody to watch over that and that and that. And the next time I saw him, he was in the unemployment line. Why? Because you get what you inspect, not what you expect. And to delegate does not release you of the responsibility. At Harvest Preparatory School, we have X amount of teachers. But that does not release Dr. Grundon of the responsibility of knowing what's going on in those classrooms. Nor does it release me of the responsibility because I delegated the responsibility to Dr. Grundon. I'm helping you so much. You give your children something to do. Did you go see if they did it? And were there consequences for either obedience or disobedience? Oh, I just love Johnny. Johnny needs to sit down. Remember that lesson? When Mother Parsley and my dad would take us to a house, they'd say they've got a staircase. Find the first step. Sit thee in it and don't move till I tell you. I moved once. And then I got moved. <laughs> I was ignited, set on fire. Hallelujah. All right. So, so. These false teachers crept in and they began to attack Paul's credibility. Oh, I wish I had an hour. They began to attack Paul's credibility. If you are a leader, somebody is going to attack your credibility. Somebody, if everything pops up petunias for you and turns out tulips, you are not a leader. You may be a man pleaser, but you're not a leader. Somebody's going to attack you. Get ready for it. A leader cultivates loyalty. 2 Corinthians 12, 15 to 19. Loyalty, loyalty, shout it, loyalty is essential to leadership. If you want people to be loyal to you, start here. 
be loyal to yourself. You make yourself a promise, keep it. <laughs> Is anybody else having half as much fun as I am? You make yourself a promise, keep it. You're not going to drink Diet Coke, don't drink it. Keep your own word to yourself first before you try to keep your word to somebody else. Be loyal to yourself, then be loyal to God, be loyal to the truth, be loyal to the people you are leading. A leader has empathy, empathy for others. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 7. Empathy, go back and study it, see how Paul did it. Empathy, the ability to identify with another person so you are able to feel what they feel. Hebrews, you said that's impossible, not according to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. Thank God we have, we have not an high priest who has not been touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He is not unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Shove your neighbor and say, come on, I've been through it. You can make it. That's what I'm talking about. I remember that devil. I know him well. And let me just give you a heads up. He's a mean devil. Him show something else. But I got news for you. Him show under my feet. And if he's under my feet, he can be under your feet too. Come on, here we go. Hallelujah. We know that we have been delivered from the fear of death because Jesus Christ of Nazareth, our elder high brother, our elder brother, our high priest, hallelujah, has gone before us and been horizoned on the other side of death and then says, come on. So there's somebody facing a giant that you already defeated and you know how he fights and you as a leader have the responsibility to say, look at me. I'm like a weeble. I wobble, but I don't fall down and encourage those behind you that they can make it too. A leader has empathy. Paul, watch this now. This will get under your skin. Paul was suffering because of what the people in the church were doing that he was writing this letter to. They were the source. They were the source of his irritation. Joni often says, God, can't we do this without people? <laughs> the people you lead will often be the source of your irritation. So how did Paul as a leader respond to those people that were the source of his irritation? He knew they were suffering. If, if one's behavior is an ungodly way toward you, I've got a revelation for you. It took me years of prayer and fasting to get it. If someone is acting untoward toward you, the problem is often not you. Anger is a secondary emotion. A person is rarely, if ever, angry at the person they're angry at. They're angry at something else. Somebody that's hurting you is hurting. I'm going to try again. Look over this way. Somebody that's hurting you is often hurting. Hurt people hurt people. Paul could have begun this letter with a stern rebuke because they deserved it. Read it. They deserved it. Got men, I'm not even going to say. It's in your Bible. 
They deserved it. Instead, Paul began with a reminder of the comfort of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because he knew they needed it because of the way they were treating him. They needed that comfort. Leaders must give their people, you ready? Room to fail. Room to fail. Just go ahead and make a great big mess of it. Leaders must give those they lead room to fail. People need encouragement rather than scorn when they are struggling. They respond to the leader when he or she has empathy in their distress. People need to be built up when they fail, not crushed. Matthew 12, 20, a bruised reed he will not break, meaning Jesus. There's a place and a time for correction, believe me. But smart leaders correct with a spirit of empathy, a heart that says, I understand. I had an opportunity to do that right before I came out here tonight. I have a young man that traveled with me for 20 years. He's one of the best friends I've ever had in all of the world. He heads up all of our operations here at the ministry. His name is Darren Endicott. Well, Darren's a family member and I needed someone to come sit with Mother Parsley so that I could get in here and talk to y'all. So I texted him and I didn't get a reply and I didn't get a reply and I didn't get a reply. But as soon as I got here to get out of the clothes I was in to look really, really good for you tonight, there was Darren handing me my clothes. And I said, why aren't you at the hospital? He said, what are you talking about? I said, didn't you get my text? He said, no, I didn't. Yes, I did. <laughs> well, what he'd done, he turned his phone on vibrate because he was in the service this morning. How many of you? have gotten home at some point and somebody said, well, I, I know I have virtually every Sunday of the world. I'm like, oh my goodness, I had my phone on vibrate and I didn't see that text. So I had empathy for him. I didn't say, oh my God, why didn't you turn your phone on and off and I'm trying to get. No, I said, don't worry about that, son. I probably did that five times today. You understand? I could empathize because I've done exactly the same thing. I think that's what Jesus must have went when he meant when he stooped down and wrote in the sand and then looked at those accusing that woman and said, here, I got a big old rock for the first one of you. Yeah. So that's a leader, right? So here's Paul and these people are driving him crazy, but he starts off with empathy. A leader keeps a clear conscience. Boy, this is, this is profound. Say conscience. God gives us a conscience, a conscience. It's not a mental thing. It's not conscious. I went over that with you last week. It's conscience. It's your spirit. If you're born again, it's your spiritual, your recreated human spirit's intuition. You understand? Your recreated spirit's intuition is your conscience. That conscience, 2 Corinthians 1, 12, 15, and 19 to 22. Conscience God spoke this to me when I was 22 years old. Conscience is the pain detector of our souls. Pain is not your enemy. Pain is an indicator that an enemy exists. If you ignore pain, professional athletes will shoot their knees full of, of numb, numbing uh, medicine. Numb, numb their, they'll be injured and they numb themselves up so they can go ahead and play and end up destroying their entire career because they numbed the pain. The pain was an indicator to stop the behavior. Oh, I just said a thing. Because conscience is to your spirit what pain is to your body. Conscience says to you, stop, don't go any further or you'll get hurt, irreparably hurt. Now watch this, guilt and blamelessness. Guilt and blamelessness are mutually exclusive. You wanna, you wanna seal all that for a minute? 
mutually exclusive. You cannot possess integrity if you train yourself to ignore your conscience. People who do not operate in integrity, honesty, loyalty, faithfulness, have trained their spirit to be numb. They've trained their conscience to be numb. Do you understand? You say, well, how do preachers get in a pulpit and preach like they do and go back to a hotel and watch pornography? They have numbed their conscience. God will give them a season to repent, just like the 10 days of all. But when that, that season is up, it's over. It's over. It's over. How do you numb your conscience? You do the same thing over and over. You repent of it over and over and over till God turns you over to a reprobate mind where you actually believe a lie and therefore are damned. You have so eroded your conscience. That's the reason your Bible says, I feel the Holy Spirit right now. I know this is a leadership class, but I feel the Holy Spirit right now. That's the reason your Bible says, be quick, be zealous, therefore, and repent. Now, turn. Why? You run the risk of numbing your conscience. A tarnished conscience nullifies the most basic requirements of leadership. If, if, if God can't talk to you through your conscience, nobody else can talk to you and train you because God can't. A leader does not abuse their authority. 2 Corinthians 12, 15. The leader is often lonely. I'm going to go fast. A leader is often lonely. If you, want, if you want lots and lots of friends, you say, well, I see people and they're leading huge corporations. I'll bet they're not lonely. I'll bet they're the most lonely person you ever knew. Just because there are lots of people around has nothing to do with loneliness. Leaders are lonely. Just, just, get, just get ready for it. A lot of, of, of God-called leaders don't even care much for people. They care intensely for a few people. You're not listening. Oh, I just, I just know pastors and they just like everybody and they just love everybody. They don't have everybody over at their house. They got 20,000 people sitting there on Sunday morning and it's their house. Why? Well, they're not supposed to be. Sometimes we become way too common to be leaders. A leader's not called to be your friend. Try over here. If you're a leader, you're not called to be everybody's friend. You're called to love everybody. Are you listening? All right. A leader does not abuse their authority. Leader is often lonely. It is a very thankless job. A leader is more often than not misunderstood. Spends a lot of nights heartbroken for the people. When the prophet is weeping, the people are rejoicing. When the people are weeping, the prophet is rejoicing. You'll get it on the tape. Jonathan Edwards, who was the catalyst for the Great Awakening, got the left foot of fellowship from his church because he taught that no one should come to the Lord's table unworthily. That man right there that led the second great awakening of earth to the gospel of Jesus Christ got thrown out of his church. That's a lonely job. Thrown out. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, arguably the greatest preacher of three generations, was censured by the Baptist Union of England. Censured, not allowed to preach in their churches. 
Now you look at that today and you think, wow, that's awesome. You weren't Haddon Spurgeon. How do you think it feels to be rejected by the very people God's called you to preach to? How do you think it feels to be rejected by those that you've given your life for? To the point that they say, in the churches you built, you're not welcome here anymore. My pastor went through the very same thing. The denomination that he was with looked at him and said, you're 50 and you're finished. And wouldn't let him go back and pastor the church that he built. Said, you're done. Took his papers and tore them up. Along with Gordon Lindsay, the founder of Christ for the Nations. My pastor and Gordon Lindsay were put out of the same denomination by the same man on the same day at the same desk. Two of the greatest generals of faith that ever walked the planet. Do you think they walked out of that room shouting hallelujah? Or do you think they were broken hearted? I was very careful when I would ever mention it to my pastor because tears would well up in those steel blue eyes of his that all you ever saw was that stern face. I saw those tears of a broken hearted man by the very people that he had dug out of the mud. If you're gonna be a leader, you better get some tough skin. And if you think you're never gonna shed a tear over the people that you're called to lead in that office or the people that you're called to lead in that real estate business or the people that you're called to lead on a football field, I promise you, you will. You will weep over them. And you just need to tell the devil, I know where you live and I've seen where you sleep and I swear by everything holy, you will pay for what you've done to me. Not people. Satan. Are you having a good time? All right, you want me to continue? Okay, I'm, I'm just looking for feedback. <laughs> Any current evangelical leader that you can name is likely to have a similar story. Bishop Jakes and I were talking about this just before the Sunday night service. When we preached together so much in the 90s, people would always say, oh, I want your anointing. Oh, lay hands on me and give me your anointing. So I said, all right, here, here, uh, come here, come here, young man, come here. And so, so stand here. I told Bishop Jakes, I lined them up and I said, all right, I pray that they hand you your son, your only son. And I pray that they tell you that he'll never know you're his father. And people jerk my hand away from them. Well, I thought you wanted my anointing. I pray that you to you're told more times than you can count that they're going to close everything you love down and there's no way you're going to make it past tomorrow. Everybody's, the, the prayer lines get real short. Thank you, Mark. A leader is a lonely person. Just get that. Just get that. It's not depressing because you've got the mess anyway and you're not a leader. <laughs> Better to have the mess and be a leader. Yes? Shout hallelujah. It's not the world's arrows that wound you. It's not the arrows from the masses that wound you. It's those fiery darts from the people you love. I've preached in front of crowds of hundreds of thousands. And they shout. And I walk off and I look at my bride and I say, did you sense the anointing? Well, she could say, well, didn't you see the crowd roaring? Yeah, but they don't love me. You love me. It's, 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 the, it's the people that you know love you that have the greatest ability to encourage or wound you. 
Always remember that. Your words to a certain group of people are like a hammer. And in your tongue, the power to bless or curse. Hallelujah. Am I, have I just lost my natural mind or is the Holy Spirit in here right now? I just, I sense his presence very strongly. Yet if you let the opinions of others get to you, you'll lose your effectiveness completely as a leader. You can't take the accolades because if you do, you'll take the criticisms and neither of them belong to you. A leader is resilient. Second Corinthians four, five, and six. Paul was like a clay pot. Oh, I love this. Like a clay pot. He was humble, sturdy, and expendable. Clay is dirt baked hard. Clay. We have this treasure in an earthen vessels. Clay is just dirt. Say dirt. dirt. Baked hard. That's the reason your Bible says don't let a man think any higher of himself than he should think. That's, that's where pride comes in before a fall. God remembers even when you forget. You know, sometimes you forget where God brought you from. We used to sing an old song, if you could see where Jesus brought me from <laughs> and where I am today, then you'd know the reason why I love him so. Because I knew me before you knew me. And he knew me. And he knows where I came from. And sometimes we have a tendency to forget where he brought us from. And we should never forget that because he never does. He knows we're clay. Look at your neighbor and say, you're just an old hunk of clay. <laughs> oh, let me, let, let me parenthetically insert this. Should you forget that? <laughs> the Almighty has a way of reminding you. Paul already told the church at Corinth, 1 Corinthians 1, 26, 29, for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose what is the foolishness in this world to shame the wise. God chose what was weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Just shout, I'm just an old clay pot. Christianity and Christian leaders are often ridiculed by the world because the gospel is simple. Now get this, Christian leaders in whatever scope of life are often ridiculed because the gospel is simple and it's direct and the quote, beautiful people just know that life is not like that at all. It's complicated and life is sophisticated. Well, just like in Paul's day, God bypasses the self-appointed elites and gives the message of the gospel and its leadership to ordinary folk, clay pots. Shout, I'm one. Our weakness is an advantage in carrying truth because it gets us out of the way. You want to be a purveyor of truth, you're going to have to get you out of the way. Secondly, a clay pot is sturdy. It's used and abused and just keeps coming back for more. This is the way you could know if you're a clay pot or a tinker toy. Amen? It, it absorbs the heat. It absorbs the cold. It can be broken. It can be broken so that it can be remade, but it can never wear out. You never wear a clay pot out. 
I'm going to try again. You never wear a clay pot out. To be weary in your well-doing, let me, let, me give you, let me give you the root cause. You're doing what you're doing in your flesh. Your flesh gets weak, tired, weary, but your spirit does not. Your spirit came directly from God. Hallelujah. I had a young man tell me the other day. He said, you, you, you're, I said, because I was kidding around. I said, I'm 50 years, 57 years old. I punch and I kick. And he said, he said, you've been, you've been doing that since you were 20. He said, you, you wear out 25 year olds. I know because you wear me out and I'm 25 and you're 57. Well, hallelujah. And I hope to do more. I hope to be stronger 10 years from now than I am right now. I hope I'm saying, give me this mountain. Blessed be God, and I hope to do more of it when I'm 70 than I did when I was 25. I don't intend to wear out. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I have a question for you. Can you be broken and still burning? Can you be broken and still burning? Hallelujah. First Corinthians 4, 8, and 9. We are afflicted in every way, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but we are not driven to despair. We are persecuted, but we are not forsaken. We are struck down, but we are not destroyed. We are... Mm, did I say it too fast? We are struck down, but we are not destroyed. I always like to share with some of these athletic teams at Harvest Preparatory School, same thing I shared with a, the Ohio State Buckeyes in football right before a game. There was an elderly gentleman stood up in a testimony meeting. Anyway, I grew up in the Baptist church. We had a testimony meeting on Wednesday night and we got to hear the same three every week. <laughs> Amen. There are just about two dozen of us in there to begin with. We'd had a testimony meeting and an elderly gentleman stood up and said, I just want to thank God. I've never been down serving God these 60 years and I've never one time been down, sat down. A young man stopped him after the service and said, sir, I don't understand. I, I've been born again three weeks and I've been down 14 times a day. And you say you've been serving God 60 years, never been down. An elderly gentleman just put his hand on his shoulder and said, son, you just didn't listen. He said, I, I didn't say I'd never been down. I said, I've never been down because I've always been up or getting up. Shove your neighbor and say, I'm about to get up. I said, shove somebody and tell them I'm about to get up. Self-appointed leaders are like Fabergé eggs. They're not clay pots. They crumble under the slightest pressure. A leader who relies on God for their strength can deal with anything. Come on, thumb your nose at whatever's been thumbing its nose at you and realize it's more afraid of you tonight than you've been of it. So shout, shout. This letter to the Corinthians contains Paul's famous recitation of all that he had endured. 2 Corinthians 11, 24 to 28. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less one. 39 times they'd plowed furrows in his back. And some folk quit when they don't get their baby's diety changed on time in the nursery. What made you quit? Have you resisted unto blood? What made you quit? Father, in the name of Jesus, I reach out my left hand as full of the anointing as I've ever felt it in my life. And I rebuke that quitting spirit. 
I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. You will not quit. You may wobble, but you will not quit. 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 Though he slay you, you will praise him. Now give God a praise right now. Now remember, this is after the Holy Ghost had fallen. This is after they'd spoken with tongues. This is after a light shined out of heaven and drove Saul of Tarsus off his beast and blindness covered his eyes and God gave him a miracle and opened his eyes. And see him now. Five times, 39 lashes upon his back. Where was God? Paul would have never made it in the modern church. They would have said he didn't have any faith. We always want God to kill the king and he wants us to stand upright in the fire. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we want God to kill the king. They're getting ready to throw me in this fire, God. I know that's not your will. <laughs> burn, these, burn these men up when you open that door. Now, God, if you set me free, I'll know you're God. <laughs> and he says, come on, let's go for a fire walk. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Five times I received 39 lashes, 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, left for dead. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift in the sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, in danger from robbers in danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger, in thirst often, without food, in cold, in exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of the anxiety of all these people. <laughs> you think people aren't tough? Paul said people are more rough than 39 lashes. Being adrift in the deep. And you want to lead people. Don't you? I said, do you want to lead people? Well, if you got people, you got problems. If you got people, you got perils. If you got people, you got persecutions. If you got people, you got trouble, you got trials, you got temptations. But through it all, he gives us the victory. Can you say amen? amen. God's not looking for everybody to lead. He's just looking for you. He's looking for some folks who are compelled by an inward desire to serve an infallible leader with irresistible power, which is based upon absolute truth. When you get a hold of absolute truth, my dear one, you let nothing turn your plow. Because you've got truth. And all else is a lie. If he said he'd, brought you out, he'd bring you out, he's going to bring you out. If he said you'd be above and not beneath, you're about to be above and not beneath. Hallelujah. I said Hallelujah. Endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Paul was accused of being weak. You ever have folks like that, Job's friends? They see you going through a struggle. And, and there are some preachers that just aren't true. They're just not truthful. Well, I don't ever have a bad day. You're a liar. You don't have to own a bad day. It doesn't belong to you. And you don't have to camp out there. But to say it never comes is not true. That is not true to the word of God. And if it, if it, if it, if it, if it is true, God ought to just take you on to heaven. Because you can't identify with anybody. 
Hallelujah. I've, I've had a struggle or two. I've got some prayers I'm still waiting on the manifestation of. Blessed be God forever. I'm not discouraged. I'm ready to lead. Hallelujah. I said I'm ready to lead. If I'd never overcome, who would want to lead? Who would want to follow? So if, if I overcame, must have meant there was a struggle. Who can have a victory without a contest? That's just sheer foolishness. Hallelujah. I believe God fed Goliath Wheaties. So David would know what it felt like to climb up on him and take his head off with his own sword. <laughs> Hallelujah. I'm about to run through a troop and leap over a wall. Shove your neighbor and say, you're going to make it. Let me, let me give you this because this is important. A clay pot is expendable. It has very little intrinsic value. It's almost disposable. Paul knew that he was not bigger than the gospel, but that the gospel was bigger than him. And if he'd carry the gospel, God would carry him. Paul knew there would come a time when he had run his course and he would take what God had deposited in him and hand it over to somebody else. Hallelujah. Somebody ready to take it? Amen. You're running with that gospel. You're a leader. I release you now into your destiny, into your true role, into your purpose. I bless you with a spirit that shouts, I will not, I cannot, I must not quit so that the gospel of Jesus Christ may be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed it, I want to invite you to tell someone in your life about the podcast. Hope you'll do it today. Head on over to iTunes and leave a review. Share it on your social networks for me. Really helps me get the word out. I'd love for you to connect with me on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. No easier way for me to minister to you every day and throughout the day and for us to join together in faith as God moves in and through your life. You can find links to all my pages at rodparsley.com. God bless you now, and I hope you'll listen again soon. Mm -hmm.